Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah. I'm glad there's a few of you, there's a few of you not clapping, and I, I know who you are. Right? You know what? I was, uh, uh, last week I was so encouraged. Uh, I was leaving, and I went back to the back, and Benji was uh, having a meeting with the youth, and I walked in the door, and they all started clapping. I was like, <laughs> I love y'all. And I think I got all my crying out in the first service. We'll see. But, you know, I haven't worshipped with a live congregation in over three months. And as soon as I started singing, everybody singing around me, I just got lit up. So it all came. I literally was not even looking at my notes this morning. So I'm going to be steady, walk right through this. And then it was over in about 18 seconds. So maybe it's over now. For some of you, you're new and you're thinking, who is that guy? I have no idea, never seen him, and that's because I, my name is Jeff Patton. I'm the other teaching pastor here along with Monty, and I've been on a 12-week uh, sabbatical. So uh, this morning is a little different in the sense that I get to sort of unpack that uh, from you. And uh, really, I got two words, whether you're new or everybody here, and you can look to the screen to see them. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about, right? That's what I'm talking about. And is it moving? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I am back and very excited. And I want to start off, uh, as I follow the outline here, there's two more words I want to use to, um, to express uh, how I feel. Uh, but they just seem so empty compared to how I really feel. I just couldn't. I looked up synonyms for thank you. And I, I, all I know to tell you is thank you. I, uh, when I left May 15th from the men's retreat, I was driving home and I just, I was taking deep breaths, just like, I can't believe this, you know? I, I can't believe that uh, 35 years of ministry, I never even thought of a sabbatical. I thought that something happened in the Old Testament. And um, <clears throat> that's a joke. I actually wrote a paper on in seminary. <laughs> But I thought that I get to take one, and um, I, I say that because I have friends who are pastors all over the country. We often talk about church and the churches we're a part of, and, and, and when I talk to them about this church, I mean, literally, their jaws drop, and they get wide-eyed, and they just can't believe it, because for the vast majority of them, uh, the situations they're in are not like fellowship. And so I want to say thank you to our uh, leadership, the elder team, for being so gracious with me, the staff team. I didn't do it the first service. I need to give Chad a special shout out because he took all my, <laughs> he took all my jobs. I might kill Chad this summer. And uh, <clears throat> um our staff are amazing. I, I didn't think one second about how the church was doing. And then you. Uh, I, I knew that the people of this church were not thinking, why is he getting off? And, and, and the envious thing and all that. Uh, you texted me. I know you pray for me. And it just felt, uh, I said, Lord, you've been so kind to place me here at this church. I, I love my job. 
uh, it is a gift, a gracious gift from God to, to be a part of a, a body like this. So um, thank you. Good stuff. And now some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad he's back, but I hope he changed a lot right? he's gone, right? Uh, one thing you may not know about a sabbatical, I actually took a lot of time and I put a plan in place so I wouldn't waste my sabbatical and it would be very intentional and I would execute the plan. And so your outline is sort of, you know, three ways. I had some fun. I did a lot of reading and thinking and praying and self-examination in a healthy way. I want to talk through that. And, um, and then... Um, uh, sort of three takeaways, what the Lord, I felt, did in me uh, this summer. So let's start with the fun. We good with that? Okay. So one of the things I put in my plan, because I wanted to emotionally and relationally and spiritually, uh, I wanted to grow in all those areas. And so I, I wanted to be very intentional. And so I uh, planned something with each kid, with their input, to spend special time with them. And because of Josh's schedule, my oldest son, who's in the Navy, is a pilot in the Navy, uh, he couldn't come up during this time. So we planned a very special three days of turkey hunting this spring. And uh, so and we killed because he was with me, and I am the greatest turkey hunter ever. I'm the Muhammad Ali of turkey hunting. And uh, <clears throat> so we had a great time, um, and I took off work, so it was just me and him. Great conversations, great time in the woods. And then with Jess... Uh, Jess, my second son, is a sort of a food connoisseur. He's, uh, he, he, he likes to cook sort of gourmet food, and he's all in the flavors and getting it just right and these little special pretty meals and, you know, totally opposite me. I'll eat anything, right? So as we talked through it, I said, Jess, find a restaurant that you want to go to, and he did his research. So we went to this place called the Catbird Seat in Nashville. Any, any of y'all ever heard that? Been there? Yeah. You, and so we spent two and a half hours eating over about 15 courses. Now, that picture right there is actually goose liver and apricots, I think. And you would think, gross. No, no, I'm telling you, glory to God who is alive <laughs> and well. And, and, and there were several times where I looked over at Jess because for me, I can eat anything. And I love it. I'll make you feel great about your cooking. And typically, though, food, you eat it. The flavors are good. The more you chew, the less the flavors are. You swallow. At this place, you, you bit into it, and, and the flavors just burst. And the more you chewed, the more they burst. And I looked over at Jess a couple of times, and he was... He was, he was literally groaning out last I stopped, bro. He was... Okay, help it, you know. So we had a great time, great conversation, uh, evening with him, really fun. And then Jay, my third son, we went uh, smallmouth bass fishing. Uh, we caught 80 smallmouth. How about that? We crushed them, baby. And uh, had a great time uh, in a, uh, on a river in Knoxville. I can't, I have to kill you if I tell you where it is. And um, But, you know, we, we caught numerous 20, 22-inch smallmouth and uh, what we didn't know, they take 10 to 12 years to get that big in a river. Now, lake is a little bigger, but, uh, man, we had a great time, ate some great food, a uh, special, special time with, uh, with my man, Jay. And, um, and then Joel. So um, we wanted to go to NBA game, 
but this didn't work out schedule-wise, and cities are a little rough right now, so uh, we worked out. She loves roller coasters, so we went to Branson, Missouri, which is the capital of tourism, right? Like, we went all tourism, right? Just here we go. They got a theme park there with, I don't know, seven or eight roller coasters, Silver Dollar. Any of y'all been there? Okay. So it, we were all tours, right? Right on. And uh, she, uh, look, for me, I hate roller coasters. As I gotten older, if I ride one, which I did, I got nauseated. I walked around nauseated all day. And I said, Joette, if you ever deny my love for you, I'm bringing this up. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't ride roller coasters with anybody else in the world, right? So had a great time. And there's a picture. I didn't do this in the first one. I forgot the... Uh, is there a bagpipe guy playing the back? That's, that's heaven right there, too. That little strawberry thing. Uh, where's the bagpiper at? Huh? Oh, you don't? I didn't send it to you. Well, there was a guy playing bagpipes at this place, and I thought, that's Monty's cousin. <laughs> and, man, you know, Monty's got a little Scott Irish in him, you know, and had his little skirt on. So, so anyway, <laughs> Monty has actually worn a skirt on this stage before. How many of you have seen that? Yeah. With the bagpipe deal. So that's why I said, Jenna's like, that's what money wore, you know? And then I got some personal hobbies. Uh, last year, I had the worst garden in America. And this year, I'm in the top 25 at least. I changed all my soil out, and I grew a massive garden. It's not massive in size, but it's producing massive amounts. Had a great time really doing that. I canned some bread and butter pickles. Uh, this summer, I blew the kitchen up, and Jenna's like, what are you doing in my kitchen? Go back to work, please, right? And uh, they are delicious. And then I spent a, a lot of time, I know y'all going to think I'm crazy, but y'all already do. So I took a taxidermy class in high school, and in my freezer for 17 years of turkey hunting in Middle Tennessee, I think I even moved some down from Ohio when we moved here. I had at least 80 turkey legs, okay, wild turkey legs that I had killed. Some of y'all are like, in your freezer? Yep, in my freezer. It was my special turkey freezer. And uh, in the garage, I had about 50 beards that come off of turkey and about 30 plus tail fans. So I got all those out, and I turned them into works of art. And I'm telling you, you go in my, come in my office and see it. The environment is beautiful there. It's all on the wall. I had a great time listening to sermons on the, on the podcast as I worked for hours, and probably, I don't know, 75 hours more. That right there took me 40, 50 hours uh, to make. And they're all trophy birds, so... Really excited about that, and uh, Jenna's like, you're crazy, but have a good time, you know? And uh, uh, so that, that, was, that was really fun uh, to do all that. Some of you are thinking, Lord, have mercy. Doesn't take much for him to have fun, you know? And, and I did have a little moment. Uh, I was, you know, you have to cut the spurs off the turkey legs, and then you have to boil them, and you have to, you know, take all the skin, take them apart, get them down, clean them. And I had a teary moment. If you look at how God created the turkey leg to keep a spur on it with the two layers of skin and the film of skin and these little ligaments and all bones connecting, I was like, this doesn't happen by accident. So take a turkey leg apart sometime when you get home and praise God. 
And then I, I visited some of my dearest friends in Ohio and South Carolina and Texas, and uh, we fished. And folks, did I, did I mention we fished? I counted up 300, 350 fish that I caught this summer. I caught trout. Uh, Joelle caught some catfish. Look at that girl. She don't play. And uh, crappy, uh, redfish. Redfish are some of the uh, people fly from all over the world to catch uh, these fish right here, which is in uh, the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, we crushed them. They pull like an elephant. I'm telling you, they're unbelievable. Flounder and... Uh, and look at, uh, look at Josh and Joelle. Joelle's catching redfish. She told me this summer, she said, Dad, I love fishing, and I want my own fishing gear. And I said, you are my daughter, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, I'll tell you something else. We were on the boat, and on those flats, there's a lot of wind. And, and you know, my brother and my son, they're struggling a little bit to, to cast. But Joelle, you know she is an athlete, Right? Athletes, freak athletes have an ability for you to tell them something and then, then they can make their body do it. It's not hard. I've been, and so casting in that wind with a big rod and reel is not easy. And about the fifth try, she went, and it just shoots across like I was casting. And I was like, whoa. And she's like, I got it. <laughs> okay. So I gave the guys a hard time. You know, you know, let Joel beat you out. And then I cook some great food. You know, I love to smoke meat. That's wild turkey on the left, seasoned with bacon on top. Oh my gosh, mm, good stuff. And I look this. Look, look at this next picture. That's just big old meat in a frying pan. A frying pan's about that big. And I had a great time just doing some fun things. So then we did some fun traveling. We started off the summer, went to the Shenandoah Valley up in Virginia. Me and Jenna and Joel and. And just had a great time up there. Uh, Joel was recovering from mono, so we do one thing a day and just fun and relaxing. And uh, and then we did something that we uh, have never been able to do as a family in years, obviously since the kids got older and married and stuff, and may not be able to do again. But we all went to the beach down in the Gulf, uh, close to where Josh and Jenna Ray live in Corpus Christi because at Port Aransas, uh, because Generator just had a new baby, so they couldn't travel far. And when I, when I look at that picture, I, uh, I, I, it's a miracle. And the reason is, um, Jen and I were digging out of very difficult home situations, and um, and it's a beautiful picture. And I know you're thinking. Uh, Lord, the, you know, pictures look perfect. They, look, all of them have their mess. I have hurt all of them. But my kids, by God's grace, are starting at a different place uh, than I started from and then Jenna started from. And uh, so just so, so grateful uh, for them and the work God is doing in them. Um, uh, uh, yeah, we're sort of all messes. But uh, as you know about yourself, but man, the Lord has been kind to Jen and I, and that picture is a display of that. And then at that, uh, our beach time together, uh, my man Jay, look at this, he got him a woman. Yes, he did. How about that? So <clears throat> we kept it all secret. We all knew, and Hadley... She's back there. I want everybody to turn your head around. 
<clears throat> and tell Jay how blessed he is. Say, Jay, you're blessed. Yeah. So <clears throat> she had no idea. Uh, Joel even took one for the team. Uh, Joel doesn't want to get her nails done. What's that called? A pedicure, right? Manicure. One of them. And so Joel sort of said, Hadley, let's get our nails done. So when they get, you know, we were all the planning stuff. But um, anyway, in a month's time, Jay got a job, a big boy job after graduating from, with his master's. Jay got a woman. And Jay got a truck. And I thought he needed to get a dog and write a country song. He'd be ready to go, right? <laughs> so, man, uh, grateful for Hadley. And uh, she's... Her parents and family go to church here, so just delighted in that. Um, very, very, very thankful. And then uh, spoke at a pi uh, camp, Pine Cove, that I speak out every year. And that was fun to sort of get back into the rhythm of things. And then I topped it off, folks. Drum roll here with the icing on the cake, baby. The cherry, the cherry on top of the the uh, dessert. And that is, I went to the first. Uh, uh, practice of Clemson football for this season. I got some friends that coach on the team and uh, went there and Dabo says hello and <clears throat> I love Clemson football, some of you new people. So uh, that was that was really fun just to have a good time and, and see some old friends. Obviously, I worked there for six years and I probably saw half a dozen people that are still there and uh, what are you doing here? Da, 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 da. So a really great time uh, doing that. And, and just so you know, I, they are going to win the national title this year. So just thought I'd tell you that. Um, and then lastly, I want to, uh, I really want to thank my wife. Um, like, like she is a great wife and, uh, but she was a really great sabbatical wife. <laughs> and here's what's true. And that is 20 years ago, she would have been praying to God Almighty to get him back to work because I would have drove her crazy. But she was, she was thanking the Lord that we had this time together. God has done so much in our marriage. <clears throat> we were talking about it yesterday, driving home from taking Joel to college. And um, we are, we're both stunned a little bit from how we thought how we, uh, our family stories, the things we liked, the things we desired, and how God has and continues to transform that. And uh, so, um, Jenna Bean, how about that? We're getting old, but it's a good old. So, really thankful for Jenna Bean. Mm. Stop. Here we go. Uh, secondly, that's the fun. A sabbatical is a time for the one taking it to really practice the spiritual disciplines, to, to be intentional about solitude, <clears throat> reading, thinking, praying, <clears throat> and what I call healthy self-examination. Um, a couple of things there. One is... I had all the time in the world to open the scriptures, to read, to think, to pray. 
Because here's what I know for me. It feels like I'm too busy to do that. Not on sabbatical. And that's what you think too. And what I found was a little disturbing. It was so hard to pull away, even though I had nothing on my agenda to do just that. And here's what it says to me, and ultimately to you as well, is that I worship comfort. It's an idol. I want to be comfort. That's what it says. So I know Monty on his sabbatical said the same thing. I did not want to sin the same way as Monty, but the Lord really exposed exposed me. And um, so I'm thanking God by his grace. I really had to fight, fight to sit down and stop. And once I got there though, there were many times I didn't want to stop and get up. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm reminded by C.S. Lewis's words in the Screw Tape Letters. <clears throat> if you don't know about the Screw Tape Letters, it's a book that he wrote from a demon or the devil's perspective of how to affect believers and keep them immature. <clears throat> and he writes in that book, whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things in their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. I felt that battle to sit down and put God's truth in my soul. In light of that, obviously I read the scriptures, but I picked two books. I actually picked a few more, but didn't get through them. I decided to read them really slow and to just soak them up. And, and, and they're really two great books. One is a classic, The, the Cross of Christ by Dr. John Stott. Uh, most people say it's the greatest one-volume book written on the work of God's Son, Jesus, on the cross. Um, <clears throat> John Stott puts it this way why he wrote the book. Christ is to us just what his cross is. All that Christ was in heaven on, on, or on earth was put into what he did there. Christ, I repeat, is to us just what his cross is. You do not understand Christ <clears throat> until you understand his cross. And so part of my, my theme for my sabbatical was to finish strong. And to do that, I felt like, man, the, 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 the most intentional laser way is to is to know Christ more through his work on the cross. I I can honestly tell you that there were numerous moments sitting alone in my house, drinking a cup of coffee, and reading how kind God had been to me through the cross. I just had to shut the book lay it on my chest, just lay my head back and pray and thank God. It just felt like like stunned. Um, Man, those were sweet, sweet moments. I take for granted his kindness to me and that book would not let me do that. (laughs) 
it was one of those books where you feel like you want to underline every sentence nearly. It's it's not it's it's not easy reading. It's not difficult reading. It's it's meaty reading. It's rich reading. I cannot recommend more a book for you to just tear apart than The Cross of Christ by John Stott. So very thankful for that. <clears throat> Had a great time. And then the second book I picked is called The Gagging of God by D.A. Carson. Uh, Dr. Carson was one of my seminary professors uh, at Trinity. <clears throat> and uh, he's a brilliant man. <clears throat> Some have said that if all the Greek New Testament manuscripts were destroyed in one day, there are about three or four men in the world that could replace them from memory about 90%, and D.A. Carson is one of those men. And, um, and yet, he wrote this book in 1996. I bought it then, and uh, <clears throat> I've skimmed through it, but it, it, it's, it's about that thick and that big, and so it's, it's, he even joked it's more like a doorstop than a book, right? Uh, but if you read it, you think he had made observations about all that's going on in our world, and then the next week wrote this book to address it. You're talking about relevant to show us the biblical theology behind the why of how we got where we are today in our world. Uh, <clears throat> one of the places we are in our world, and you can Google this, is just victimhood or being a victim. And uh, man, psychology is trying to address it and business people are trying. I mean, there's all kinds of things. It's amazing what's out there. Here's what he says in 1996 about the victim mentality. Unfortunately, <clears throat> victimization convinces men and women who should be looking for a savior to instead search for a scapegoat. After all, if I am not to blame for what I do, the cross is much ado about nothing. How hopelessly out of date the old spiritual hymn sounds to us. Not my mother or my father, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in need. Victims do not need God. They just need a sympathetic therapist or a good lawyer. If you want to know, and I'll speak more about that as I close up in a few minutes, what was the big takeaway for me? That it is me, O oh Lord, who stands in need. And uh, I... I took some time as I read and thought and prayed and did self-examination to trace my life story back to my home, which was a disaster, um, painful, um, ungodly, and to a few people God put in my life, Chad Vincent's father being one of them in middle school and high school, sort of um, keeping my head above water and then for me to come to Christ at 19 at a crazy university on a football team and all that God has done. And when you just think of where your life could be, should have been in light of your story and then God's kindness to me. And so in a deeper and fresher and beautiful, overwhelming way, 
how would I say this? The gospel is good news for sinners. And my biggest obstacle to understanding that is me seeing myself as a good person. <laughs> just stands in the way. Grace, just grace. And I'll speak more about that in a minute. So a great read there. I mean, it, it's, uh, I'd encourage you to read it. Man, if you read it, you'd be one of the top 1% of readers in America. So if you're a competitive person, maybe that'll spur you on. Um, as I wrap up here, let me give uh, three takeaways, three takeaways for me. Uh, the first one is to live modern and train old. Now, what do you mean by that, Jeff? That's a, that's a sports saying. That's an old coat saying. It's why boxers will move away from fancy facilities for three months to train for a big fight, go up in a cabin, real weights, running in the snow. Uh, football coaches will take their football teams away to, uh, to, you know, away from these nice fancy facilities for a week just to, to do their thing. So, Live modern, that's fine. We got all the technology in the world, da-da-da, air conditioning. You ever heard people say, man, I wish I lived back in the 1800s. I'm like, no, we don't have air conditioning. I like air conditioning, right? But spiritually speaking, there's a connection and correlation. And, uh, and it is in the sense of this athletic metaphor. We, we love watching athletes perform these incredible feats with their body. We watch the Olympics, right? Football games, basketball, whatever sport it is. And we're thinking, how do they do that? They do that because they train old. They live modern and train old. They, when you don't see it, behind the scenes, they are grinding. They have done 10,000 plus reps of the same thing over and over so that when they get in a situation and their body just needs to respond to the circumstances, they just respond. And many of us, including myself, understand when I, a situation happens and I respond inappropriately, whether it be mentally, emotionally, physically, to it, I disobey the Lord. Much of that happens because behind the scenes there hasn't been a grind. There hasn't been this, this preparation spiritually. Example, it's hard to surrender one's life and heart to a God that you do not know. You just know a little bit about. So I thought, man, for the rest of my days, I want in a new and fresh way encourage me and you to live modern, but train old. To daily open the scriptures. To fight against comfort. And say, Lord, it is me who is in need. Lord, I want to meet with you to pray, to practice the spiritual disciplines, to be self-aware. Lord, make me aware of me. And there's a grind there behind the scenes that will give us great, and that's where we fight for joy, right there behind the scenes. And I said, Lord, that, that was a big takeaway because it was so rich for my soul this summer. Secondly, uh, uh, says, and this is not new in any form of fashion. You've heard me say it, but it did go to a deeper level. Look, I'm 58. Who knows? The Lord, ultimately, you know he does determine our number of days. 
And uh, so it could be tomorrow, and it could be 30 years from now. Lord, I will be an ugly man in 30 years. I will go from pretty now to ugly. But, um, man, I want to finish strong by living for the next world in the here and now. Um, without something transient, without something that's beyond just me in the here and now, uh, Man, life doesn't make a lot of sense. But when everything done here contributes to the next world with Christ, it's all worth it. And so I really want to do that well. Matter of fact, one of the decisions I made recently was uh, to step down from speaking. Jen and I have been speaking with Family Life Ministries at marriage and conferences for 17 years and 15 years speaking each summer at Pine Cove. And felt like the Lord said, for this last ride, big dog, <laughs> just want you to focus right here at Fellowship Bible Church to equip and teach and pastor and lead and encourage and love and care for uh, this body that God has done that. So I'm excited about a singular focus um, uh, to be right here with you, that God was grow us. Growth is always from the inside out. Grow us in such a way that we go and we make an impact where we live, work, and play uh, more than ever. So for me, very encouraging. And then lastly, um, again, a generic statement that can be initially read as, I am a great sinner and Jesus is a gracious and merciful Savior. But folks, there is no truer statement in the world. Um, again, the, the clearest thing to me over my sabbatical as I thought about my whole life. I thought about not only things that I have done, um, intentional and unintentional, not only about that, but things that I desire to do, things that I want to do, how there is this war going on inside of me and every believer to... to Paul says, walk in the spirit so you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. God understands that conflict. Before Christ, there is no conflict. And if you could know all that, you'd probably say you shouldn't be a pastor. And I would say the gospel is good news for sinners. And uh, the Lord just said, man, you're a sinful dude. But let me tell you what I am. I am a great and merciful Savior. And that just flooded over me wave after wave after wave this summer. Uh, uh, that's why I cried in the first service. I saw the words, uh, my sins are many, but your mercy is what? Yeah, or more. Um, um, these verses, Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared... <laughs> that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So Paul writes, the way to say no to your flesh, the world, and the devil is God's what? Grace. 2 Timothy 1.9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. And when I say holy, we never reach perfection. I just want to be clear with that, right? But, but, as I had time to think this summer, I, I am amazed 
and Jen and I were talking about yesterday, riding home from taking Joel to school. And that is the way we think about all of life, the way we think about each other, the way we think about God, the way we think about ourselves is completely flipped on its head from when we got married. And when he calls us to a holy life, uh, it's this progressive uh, sanctification of becoming more like him. And it says that happens not because of anything we've done, but because of his own grace. And then Romans 6, 14, for sin shall no longer be your master. Because before Christ, it was your master. There was no option. Why, he says, because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. It is God's kindness that leads me to repentance. It is God's kindness and grace that leads me to live differently than I want to live, than the world lives. Here's what I hope. I hope that my 12 weeks away would, that you would tangibly and very practically feel uh, a change in me and how I lead you and love you and care for you and teach the scriptures, that you would say, man, there, there's noticeable change there. If not, it was really wasted. I hope my family at, a, at another level experienced the kindness that God's been to me to them. Um, another part of that is I think John Stott paints a picture of how it might look for me to do this in my role as a pastor at Fellowship Bible. He says this. This is not in your notes. It's from his book, The Cross of Christ. He says, all Christian preachers have to face this issue. Either we preach that human beings are rebels against God under his judgment and if left to themselves lost, and that Christ crucified who bore their sin and curse is the only available, available Savior. Or we emphasize human potential and human ability with Christ brought in only to boost them up. And with no necessity for the cross except to exhibit God's love and so inspire us to greater endeavors. The former is the way to be faithful the latter, the way to be popular. It is not possible to be faithful and popular simultaneously. Man, I want to finish strong and I want to be faithful and I want to help lead and care for this body in a way that that message comes through clear and that this culture at this church is a place where no one, where we're, let me put it this way, where the struggle with sin is normalized, but never embraced and never celebrated. We call sin, sin. And when we can do that corporately without fear of shame and ridicule, you're struggling with sin? What's wrong with you? I said, yep. Welcome to humanity. Let's go to the cross. That's a culture that can change the world. I want to preach, but time's up. I want to get. I want to preach a couple of things. So, uh, lastly, 
we, uh, uh, this summer, uh, obviously I, I didn't watch, I bet I didn't watch 20 minutes of TV, stayed away from my phone, but I, I got an observation of what's going on in our world. Our world is on fire. It doesn't surprise us. Peter said, do not be surprised. <laughs> uh, church at Corinth was demonic and debauchery at a high level. Nothing's changed. But in a new and fresh way, I thought, we are the only ones with the answers. We are the only ones with the solutions. So church, let's be the church. Let's Live modern and train old. Let's focus on ourselves and my growth. It is my problems, Lord. I'm the one in need. And then let's wallow in the grace of God so we can take that to a world that is des definitely in need. I love y'all. Y'all have been kind to me. And I'm grateful to be a pastor here. I mean that. And uh, I love my job, and uh, I think that's all I got to say.